12th floor apartment was quiet. Above the never quiet streets of New York City, Linda Napolitano and her husband slept soundly in their bed. Their young sons were sleeping down the hall. It was November 30th, 1989. Linda was a stay-at-home mom who had previously been a model. She'd been up late that November night, tending to housework. But by the time 3.15 rolled around, she was tucked snugly in bed next to her sleeping husband until something roused her from her slumber. She said she felt as if something was watching her, and when she opened her eyes, there was a figure there next to her bed. She described it in so many words as being of small stature and having an overly large head, gray skin, and oval-shaped black eyes. It was an alien. Linda attempted to scream out, but before she could, She heard something, but not with her ears. It was as if something was speaking directly into her brain, telling her to be quiet. Still, she tried to scream, but she couldn't. Something like a sheet pressed over her face, obscuring her eyes and mouth, keeping her from crying or even speaking. Fearing for her life, she attempted to wake her husband by thrashing or kicking, or even sitting up in bed. She couldn't move. Numbness spread across her body until she was paralyzed. The sheet-like material over her face dissipated, allowing her to see again, but she couldn't speak and couldn't move. Through the plate glass bedroom window came a blue-white light. The next thing Linda knew, she was floating over her bed, pulled by some invisible force toward the window. The force curled her into a fetal position as she passed through the somehow glassless window. She was suddenly out in the night with nothing between her and the ground but air. And she was being pulled up, closer and closer to the bright light. She saw headlights on cars below, smoke coming out of chimneys on adjacent rooftops and the nearby Brooklyn Bridge. High above her, floating next to the building, was a flying ship the source of the beam of blue-white light. It was shaped like a saucer and had several lights along its bottom, next to where the blue-white beam was coming from. Also floating in this light were three great creatures, the one she saw in her bedroom and two others. As they approached the ship, a hatch opened up. Soon, Linda found herself inside the ship, looking at white benches in a strange, sterile room but she was pulled through the room and down a corridor. She was eventually laid out on a white table. The gray beings surrounded her, and it wasn't long before they started in on her with all kinds of strange and invasive instruments. Shortly after, she found she could use her mouth again, and she began to scream. In an apparent attempt to shut her up, one of the gray figures shoved a strange tool up her nose, She felt the pressure of some object being inserted into her nasal cavity before she blacked out. When she regained consciousness, she was back in her bedroom, next to her sleeping husband. The clock said it was nearly five in the morning. This, according to Linda Napolitano, was an exact recounting of what happened to her on November 30th, 1989. It would be the start of one of the most controversial alien abduction stories ever told. 
a story that would eventually come to encompass kidnapping of the human-on-human variety, attempted murder, shadowy government agents, and a high-ranking politician. It's a story that's still hotly debated today, and to be sure, there are many unanswered questions that need to be addressed. We'll do our very best to answer them in this episode as we look into the abduction of Linda Napolitano. Part 1. Bud Hopkins and Linda Napolitano One of the key figures in the Linda Napolitano abduction case was Bud Hopkins. Even before Linda's experiences of November 30th, 1989, Hopkins was well-known in the ufology community. He'd written two books about extraterrestrials and abductions, Missing Time, published in 1981, and Intruders, published in 1987. He lived in New York, not far from Linda, and ran a support group for those who claimed to have been abducted by aliens. Although the exact dates vary depending on the source, Linda and Hopkins met well before the autumn of 1989. Linda had written Hopkins a letter in April 1989, seven months before her experiences in those early morning hours. She'd been reading his book, Intruders, and explained to him in the letter that she had found a strange bump in her nose 13 years earlier. When she had it examined, the doctor said she must have undergone nasal surgery at some point but Napolitano couldn't recall ever having any such surgery, and her mother agreed. Hopkins was intrigued by the possibility of discovering an implant of extraterrestrial technology, so he and Linda met. As Hopkins had done with many alleged abductees, he discussed things with her, drawing certain details from her past that suggested a previous abduction or abductions. Linda came to believe that she'd been abducted many years ago, but that she was no longer a target. Soon, she started attending the support group for abductees that Hopkins ran. And when she found herself back in bed at five o'clock in the morning after her 1989 abduction, she at first wrote the experience off as a particularly vivid nightmare. As the day went on and normal things occupied her mind, the details of the abduction or nightmare started to fade away. Later that day, she called Hopkins and told him about her experience. She provided some details, but she'd already forgotten some key elements. A few days later, Linda and Hopkins met. With the help of regressive hypnosis, Hopkins drew out more details about the purported abduction. Hopkins was faintly intrigued, but her story wasn't all that different from any other abductees he'd spoken to. It wasn't until more than a year later that he received information that would set the case apart from all other abductions that came before it. In February 1991, Hopkins received a letter from two men who identified themselves as Richard and Dan. They provided no last names. In the letter, they explained that they were two police officers and that they'd witnessed a flying saucer over Manhattan on November 30th, 1989. According to the letter, they'd seen a woman in a nightgown and three strange humanoid figures floating through a high window and into the UFO. They even said it was between 3 and 3.30 when this happened. Apparently, they had both been concerned about the woman's health. They didn't even know if she was alive. 
but fear for their jobs had kept them from pursuing the matter. But in early 1991, they finally decided to write a letter to the well-known Bud Hopkins to see if the woman was okay. In Hopkins' mind, this took the case to a whole new level. There had never before been an independent, third-party witness to an alien abduction. And, according to the letter, there were now two. Plus, the details in the letter seemed to check out. They said they were under the elevated FDR drive in a parked car. This was a spot from which Linda's apartment building could be seen. They also said that they could identify the exact window the woman and figures had come out of. Dan and Richard apparently wanted to talk to the woman, so Hopkins phoned her and told her she might have a couple of visitors. They also said they didn't want to meet or talk to Hopkins. Meeting with such a well-known member of the UFO community could put their law enforcement jobs in danger. But to assuage their guilt over doing nothing to save Linda on that November morning, Dan and Richard wanted to meet with her. Sure enough, a few days later, Linda contacted Hopkins and told him that the two men had stopped by her apartment. She described the meeting as emotional, given the guilt the two men had apparently been carrying around. They were happy to see that she was alive and well. During this impromptu meeting, Linda asked them to meet with Hopkins. She knew that these independent witnesses would lend massive credibility to her story. After all, this was unheard of among abduction stories. Dan and Richard refused, but they offered to write down their experience and read it into a tape recorder. They could then send the tape to Hopkins. If this was as good as it was going to get, Napolitano and Hopkins would take it. Not long after the meeting at Linda's apartment, Hopkins received the tape, narrated by Richard, describing the experience from over a year earlier. But this wasn't the end of Dan and Richard's involvement with Linda. And it was only the beginning of the strange saga surrounding this abduction story. Part two, kidnapping and attempted murder. As weeks passed, Hopkins received additional letters from Dan and Richard. The men, it seemed, were writing to Hopkins without the other's knowledge. In one, Richard claimed Dan had taken a leave of absence due to a mental decline directly related to witnessing the abduction of Linda Napolitano. A letter from Dan claimed they were not, in fact, police officers. Instead, he said they worked as security officers for an unnamed organization. On the night of Linda's abduction, they were allegedly driving a very important person to a helicopter pad in Lower Manhattan when their vehicle died and they were forced to pull over under FDR Drive. They went on to say that this unnamed VIP also witnessed the abduction and became hysterical. Dan also claimed that Richard had a habit of watching Linda in secret. This, it would seem, proved true with time. In April of 1991, Linda Napolitano was, according to her, approached by Dan and Richard near her apartment. Richard was standing on the sidewalk and Dan was in the driver's seat of a car parked at the curb. Richard told her to get into the car. When Linda refused, the man forced her into the vehicle. As soon as they were in, Dan pulled into traffic. For over three hours, the two men drove her around and interrogated her, 
They seemed to think that she was either an alien or working for the government. They even made her take off her shoes so they could see her toes, saying aliens didn't have toes. Eventually, they let her go, and she contacted Hopkins about the incident. Once again, Hopkins put her under hypnotic regression to see if he could glean any pertinent details about the ordeal. While under hypnosis, Linda remembered that a second car had been involved in the interrogation. She listed the license plate number of this vehicle. She was also able to remember a partial license plate of the vehicle that Dan was driving. Hopkins later claimed that he traced the plate numbers to certain agencies, but he wouldn't elaborate further. Later that year, in October, Linda was once again kidnapped. This time it seemed that Dan was working alone. As she was walking along the street, Dan appeared and forced her into a red Jaguar. Linda happened to have a tape recorder on her person and she managed to start recording as Dan pelted her with questions. But soon, Dan discovered the device and took it from her. They arrived at a beach house on Long Island that appeared to belong to Dan. Once in the house, he told Linda to remove her clothes and put on a nightgown identical to the one she'd been wearing on the night of her abduction. He also made it clear that he wanted to have sexual intercourse with her. Linda refused. But as Dan persisted, she finally agreed to put the nightgown on, but she refused to remove her clothes. Instead, she put the gown on over her clothing. Once she had the nightgown on, Dan started acting even more strangely. He purportedly got to his knees and started rambling about Linda being the Lady of the Sands. Frightened for her life, Linda ran out of the house and onto the beach. Dan followed, catching up to her near the water. He subdued her by twisting one of her arms behind her back and telling her he had a gun to the back of her neck. It wasn't until later that she realized the pressure she felt on her neck wasn't a gun barrel, but two of Dan's fingers. Dan forced her into the water and pushed her head under the surface. As the two struggled, Dan continued to ramble incoherently as he shoved her head under the water twice. And as he went to do it a third time, something crashed into him, freeing Linda from his grasp. She got to her feet and ran down the beach until she heard a clicking noise that she took to be a gun cocking. But when she glanced back, she saw that Dan had a camera and had just taken a picture of her. Linda continued running down the beach, but suddenly Richard was there beside her. It's unclear in the recounting of this incident if the thing that hit Dan, effectively saving Linda's life, was Richard. If it was, she didn't see him when she turned to look back at Dan. The first time she saw him was when he appeared next to her. Richard managed to convince Linda to return to the beach house by telling her he'd drug Dan to control him. Linda relented. And when Richard took Dan to the bathroom to get him cleaned up, Linda looked around the house. She reportedly recovered her tape recorder and the tape. She also found a pad of paper with a Central Intelligence Agency letterhead. But perhaps most disturbing of all, she found framed pictures of herself, taken without her knowledge. Upon getting back to Manhattan, Linda went to Hopkins and told him about her experience. Hopkins later recalled that Linda looked and sounded frightened. She had sand in her hair, her appearance was unkempt, and she was in clear distress. The next month, November of 1991, 
Linda purportedly met Richard outside a Manhattan bank. During this meeting, Richard said that Dan was suffering from mental problems. And in December, a letter Linda received from Dan seemed to suggest this was true. In the three-page note, Dan expressed his romantic feelings for Linda. He suggested that he wanted to kidnap her, remove her from the country, and ultimately marry her. The letter featured a United Nations stamp and postmark. She later claimed that one or both men had tried, twice more, to kidnap her as she was out and about. She described the car as a black sedan with Saudi Arabian UN plates. She avoided being kidnapped the first time on December 15th by ducking into a shop. The second time on the 16th, she reportedly stood near a group of men until the car drove away. It seemed that the two men weren't done with her. And as it would turn out, she wasn't done with them either. But before their strange relationships could take another twisted turn, Hopkins would receive information on two more witnesses to Linda Napolitano's alien abduction. Part three, the secretary general and the woman on the bridge. In September, 1991, Bud Hopkins received a letter from Dan that he later considered to be of the utmost importance. Keep in mind that this was before Dan allegedly kidnapped Linda and tried to drown her in the ocean. In the letter, Dan elaborated on the events of that night in November 1989. He said that Dan, Richard, and a person who became known as the third man not only witnessed Linda's abduction, but were themselves abducted. According to Dan's letter, he was only now telling Hopkins about this, nearly two years later, because he'd received permission from this mysterious third man. Although Hopkins ultimately wrote about this mystery man in his book, Witnessed, he never used the man's real name. But some researchers claimed that this very important person was none other than Javier Perez de Cuella, who was Secretary General of the United Nations at the time. Perez de Cuella unequivocally denied that he'd ever witnessed or been involved in any sort of abduction or extraterrestrial activity, and he denied it numerous times. For the sake of this episode, we'll simply refer to this VIP as the third man. According to Dan's letter, the third man, Dan and Richard, were under FDR drive when they witnessed the brightly lit flying object settle in the sky. They then saw a beam of white blue light shoot down into a 12th story window. Soon after, they saw four figures, a woman and three small gray humanoids float up to the ship. According to the original story sent by Dan and Richard, they watched the ship close up and then dive into the East River. That was the last they'd seen of it. But according to this new version, the three men suddenly found themselves standing on a beach. One second, they'd been in Lower Manhattan, the next on a foreign beach. Their vehicle was nowhere to be found. It was as if they'd been transported to another location. Down near the water stood Linda Napolitano and three gray humanoids with large heads and black eyes. The extraterrestrials were crouched, digging in the sand with some strange shovels. They scooped the sand into containers, seeming to ignore Dan, Richard, and the third man. But the woman, Linda, seemed to speak to the men, although not in her voice and not in any language they recognized. 
It was as if she was communicating with them telepathically. According to the letter, the creatures and Linda walked up to the three men at some point. Linda held a dead fish in her hand and said something like, Look and see what you have done. After this occurrence, Dan asked Linda her name, but she didn't answer. Instead, one of the other creatures did, saying that she was the Lady of the Sands. Then Linda and the creatures turned and left, leaving the three men standing dumbfounded on the beach. Then, just as quickly as they had gone, they were back in Manhattan, standing next to their stalled SUV. The third man was in hysterics, trying to climb onto the roof of the SUV, while Richard and Dan subdued him. Within this letter from Dan, Hopkins found meaning. In his book, Witnessed, he brings all the threads together, insisting that the extraterrestrials came down that night not to experiment on Linda Napolitano, but to warn humanity. According to him, they had used Linda as a way to communicate with the Secretary General of the UN. When she held up the dead fish and said, look and see what you have done, she was trying to tell the men that ecological disaster was looming and it was time to make a change. Shortly after receiving this letter, Hopkins called Linda in for another hypnosis session. Since she hadn't remembered anything about being on a beach the night of her abduction from previous sessions, Hopkins wanted to see if he could corroborate any of the details. So before putting Linda under, he told her that he'd received a letter from Dan, but he didn't tell her any details contained therein. During the session, Linda was able to give certain details that supported Dan's letter. She said she'd been on a beach where sand was collected for testing. She recalled giving a warning to three men dressed in suits, and she even identified Richard and Dan by name. Hopkins, it seems, had what he needed to really dig into the investigation. The letter from Dan and Linda's corroboration was amazing, but by this time, yet another person had come forward saying they witnessed the abduction on that November 30th morning. Her name, a false one given by Hopkins to protect the woman's real identity, was Janet Kimball. About a year and a half after Linda's abduction, Bud Hopkins received a letter in the mail from Janet, but he never opened it. Given his stature in the UFO community, he received no shortage of letters from all kinds of people. Many of them went unopened. But when he received another letter from her with the words, confidential, regarding Brooklyn Bridge on the envelope, his curiosity got the better of him. He read the letter, which told of Janet Kimball's experience on the Brooklyn Bridge on November 30th, 1989. According to the letter, Janet had been driving back to her home outside the city when her car suddenly died and the lights went out. In the sudden dark, she was able to see a brightly lit floating object over buildings near the bridge. And she saw four figures emerge from a building's window in a beam of light. Apparently, she wasn't alone on the bridge either. Other cars had mysteriously stopped and other people had seen what she'd seen. She said they were running around screaming from horror and disbelief. Janet had at first been reluctant to speak out about what she'd seen which was why she'd waited a year and a half to send the first letter. Hopkins found this information intriguing, and he interviewed the woman both over the telephone and in person. 
She refused to have her real name released and eventually decided that she wanted nothing to do with Hopkins or his investigation. But by then, Hopkins had already been making the rounds with reports about Napolitano's abduction. And eventually, Linda would do her own speaking at these conferences. It wasn't until 1996 that Bud Hopkins released Witnessed, which deals with Linda Napolitano's abduction and the strange happenings surrounding it. But as you may have already put together, there are some serious problems with the information compiled and presented by Hopkins. Problems that even make the most forgiving of skeptics raise an eyebrow in disbelief. Part four, stranger than fiction or just fiction? Somewhere along the line while Hopkins was investigating this alleged abduction, Linda and Richard came to the conclusion that they'd been abducted together at various times over the years. Richard, in his correspondence with Hopkins, told about memories of a beautiful little girl whom he called Baby Ann. This was a little girl that he'd encountered in his childhood, in dreamlike states of half-remembered memories. And until he saw Linda being transported up into the UFO that night in 1989, he'd thought of Baby Ann as a fictional person, a girl he'd made up in childhood. But somehow, when he saw her from where he was under FDR Drive, he knew that Linda and Baby Ann were one and the same. Not only that, but he recalled Baby Ann calling him Mickey when they met as children. And in a hypnosis session Hopkins had with Linda, she recalled having an imaginary friend as a child, an imaginary friend named Mickey. This eventually led them to believe that Richard and Linda had known each other before they ever came into contact on November 30th. And as the purported memory surfaced of their relationship, they came to believe that they'd been intimate with each other aboard the UFO during one of these numerous abductions. Richard believed that Linda's youngest son, Johnny, was actually his. According to him, Johnny had been conceived aboard the UFO when he and Linda had sexual intercourse. Their memories, of course, were later wiped by the aliens. In fact, Hopkins would note how impressive it was that the extraterrestrials had such an uncanny ability to erase and restore memories in their subjects. This was something that happened more than once. Usually, Hopkins received a letter from either Richard or Dan, and then he would contact Linda to try to verify the details given by one or both men. And it seemed that, while under hypnosis, Linda was able to access memories that had previously been blocked. Of course, we must also remember the fact that Hopkins never met Dan or Richard in real life. The only proof he had of their existence came in the form of letters and a tape recording Richard sent. The alleged third man, Javier Perez de Cuella, repeatedly denied any involvement. Hopkins even managed to interview him once, but the man stuck to his guns, saying he'd never seen anyone abducted. The only person who was willing to corroborate the things Dan and Richard claimed was Linda. Certain skeptics, and there have been many, insist that Linda could have easily fabricated the entire story. She could have been the one drafting the increasingly strange letters. She could have hired an actor to record Richard's tape, reading off a script that she wrote. But why would she do such a thing? 
According to a team of ufologists that researched the case independently of Hopkins, Linda insisted that she was going to get a large cut of the proceeds from any book sales. Hopkins denied any such deal ever existed. Linda was also prone to making strange claims. She said that she'd been a singer with a hit single, but she'd lost her singing voice one day in the shower. She insisted that her blood was incredibly rare. A doctor had purportedly told her that her red blood cells never died. She attributed this to her contact with extraterrestrials. Apparently, she tried to find the doctor who had told her this, but could not locate the man. She even went on to claim that her six-year-old son had been abducted two months before she'd been beamed out of her apartment's window in late November 1989. Of course, there is the matter of the nasal x-ray in which a non-organic implant can be seen inside Linda Napolitano's nose. If both Linda and her mother say that she'd never had nasal surgery, how did that implant get there? And what is it for? Hopkins showed a slide of the x-ray during one of his presentations, allowing the audience to see the clearly inorganic item. But this in itself doesn't provide hard evidence. And one is left to wonder why Linda didn't have the item removed and inspected by third-party scientists who could at least attempt to tell her what it was and where it came from. Then there's the matter of the first letter from Dan and Richard. In the letter, they insisted that their reason for contacting Bud Hopkins was to ask about Linda's health. But it seems like a roundabout way of doing things since they already knew where Linda lived. They had seen her floating out of her 12th-story apartment window. And, after corresponding with Hopkins, the two men apparently went to visit Linda. Why wouldn't they do this first? And how would they even know to contact Hopkins about it? When Dan and Richard sent the first letter expressing their concern, Hopkins hadn't gone public with the information. And why wait over a year to send that first letter anyway, if they were really concerned about Linda's well-being? And how would they know to ask Hopkins about it in the first place? There are no easy answers to these questions. Then there's the issue of the kidnapping. If Linda really had been kidnapped by Dan and Richard, twice, no less, then why hadn't she gone to the police? After all, Dan tried to drown her. Why would she not contact the authorities about this? When you dive a little deeper into this case, things start to feel a little too convenient. The woman who claimed to have been on the bridge is an interesting facet of the story. Unlike Richard and Dan, Bud Hopkins did actually meet this woman, but there could be a simple explanation for her story as well. Linda could have hired her, or she could have been a friend of Linda's. In fact, in the woman's letter, she said that many other people were on the Brooklyn Bridge that night, but none of them thought to alert the authorities about the bright object floating over the Manhattan skyline. Maybe the extraterrestrials wiped their memories of the incident, but if they could do that, why wouldn't they wipe all the memories of those involved? And if they were really trying to warn humans about impending ecological disaster, why did they not try again when the UN Secretary General failed to go public with the knowledge? There are simply too many unanswered and unanswerable questions about the Linda Napolitano abduction case, but it's not a proof of a negative. If Linda Napolitano orchestrated the entire thing, does that mean the real extraterrestrials don't exist? Of course not. In ufology, 
there is no shortage of stories that deserve to be listened to eagerly and with interest. And without the work of the serious UFO researchers who went back over this case with a fine-tooth comb, we would probably be left wondering what was true and what was fiction. But taking everything with a grain of salt is essential. A kind of peer review process is important because even the best researchers can sometimes get in their own way. And when others come in and start asking questions, it can help us determine which stories need our attention and which ones do not. The Linda Napolitano abduction is a kind of cautionary tale in the UFO abduction world. It's certainly full of intrigue and drama, but it seems to be a carefully constructed house of cards that comes crashing down with the slightest breeze. Other cases, like the Virginia incident and the incident at Exeter, have much more compelling eyewitness testimony. Testimony by people who were and are willing to put themselves out there to tell what they saw. There may not yet be concrete evidence that they're out there, but the increasing number of unexplainable UFO or UAP sightings suggests that something strange is going on. And there are certainly some abduction stories that deserve our attention. We can take what we learned from this case and use it on others. And maybe one day soon, we'll learn the truth, the actual truth. <laughs>